Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shailen Back. And I am Carly Guyman. We're your co-hosts. Today, we are so excited to welcome Lydia Torrance to the show, who is joining us remotely from Las Vegas, Nevada. Lydia, welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're so grateful that you would make time to do this, and we're just really excited for listeners to be able to hear your story. As background, Lydia was born and raised in Argentina and moved to the United States as a teenager. She and her husband, Steve, live in Las Vegas, Nevada with their six children, ages three to 13. And we're excited to talk with her today about their remarkable experience with foster care and adoption. In addition to her work with her family, which is pretty intense with six kids. Lydia is also participating in BYU Pathways, working towards a degree in marriage and family studies. And she works now as a breastfeeding peer counselor, which is really neat. So Lydia, thank you so much again for finding time in your busy schedule to talk with us today and to share your story. So thank you for having me. I'm excited. So Lydia, you shared with us that growing up, your mom was very welcoming to children in your neighborhood, children around you, especially those children who needed extra love and support. Can you tell us more about your upbringing in Argentina and what you learned from your mom's example in caring and reaching out to children? Yeah, so my mom was always very encouraging when it came to helping others. She was always there to help whoever needed it. And she wouldn't tell me exactly, hey, invite this person because they're going through this, this and that. She made it very natural. It was, hey, let's have your, you know, little friend so-and-so over this weekend just so we can spend some time with her. And I would invite them and these kids would stay three, four, a week at my house. And she never complained. And later on in life as a grown-up, I understood why she was doing it. And I just love that she didn't really put them in a position that they have to explain why they were at my house. She just helped them. And later on in life, I have reconnected through social media with many of them. And they all tell me, I always felt so welcome at your house. And I'm so happy that I was able to share time with you and your family and the example. And I wasn't even trying. It's just like my mom just made it very, very natural. I loved hearing this, Lydia, when we talked before the interview, because it seemed like this experience as a young girl, the example of your mom, really has shaped you and has shaped your life. How did these experiences growing up shape your desire and openness to foster care and to adoption that have now been such a big part of your life? I've always been like inclined to help others because of my mom's example. And we were surrounded by really close friends who had adopted. So as even when I was a little girl, I knew that I was going to have adopted children. And, you know, when little girls played dolls and stuff, my babies were always adopted in my little kid games, you know. So I just knew it. So when my husband and I were dating and talking about marriage and planning and we talked about kids, I told him, hey, I want to adopt someday. And he said, well, that sounds good. Sounds good to me. So we were we were both on board and we didn't know exactly when we were going to do it, but it was in our plans. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing something that is so meaningful to you and, and has been your entire life. 
Well, Lydia, you and your husband have three biological children, and you shared with us that you always had an interest in foster care and adoption. When your youngest child was nine months old, you especially couldn't get it off your mind, but you and your husband had some reservations. I mean, I can imagine with such a young baby, but what were some of those reservations? Can you just share with us the inspiration you received to become foster parents? Yeah, so in the beginning, I really did not know how the foster care system worked. In my mind, I was leaning towards adoption. And I just started researching and, you know, finding out more information about it. And my biggest fear when I started to research foster care was what's going to happen when these babies or children go back home to a situation that is not good, it's not ideal or ideal in my mind. How is this going to affect our family to have a child in my home for who knows how long and then they leave? How is that going to affect my children? Is it going to traumatize them? And also the exposure to different situations, different backgrounds, and my exposure mostly to different people, as you know, bi- biological parents, and how my interaction with them was going to be. At that time, I thought, how am I going to be able to relate to these people who have made choices that put them in a place where their children had to be taken away? So I think those are the biggest reservations I had. Other than that, we, we felt pretty good about it. What triggered foster care was I was the secretary in the Relief Society in my ward at the time. And I was sitting down and and there was one sister that was a foster mom. And she came in carrying a five-day-old baby girl. And I saw that baby and my heart just burst. And I asked her about it. And I said, hey, you know, tell me more about it. Tell me how you got involved. Tell me. And she was like, hey, just go to an introduction meeting and see how you feel about it. And I remember my husband's face when he came into the Relief Society room. And I was, you know, holding this five-day-old baby. And he was like, what are you doing? And I told him about it. And his fear was me suffering because of the attachment I was going to have with these kids. A few weeks later, we went to the introduction meeting and we felt so strong about it. We walked away from that meeting knowing that that was our next step. That's what we needed to do, regardless of the outcome, regardless if we were going to be able to adopt or no, or just help kids, you know, for a few years. Or we didn't really plan on how long we were going to do it for. We just said, okay, this this is the next step. I really appreciate you sharing this process. It's nice to hear what led you to the experience and also kind of the effort that went into preparing for it. So you went through the introduction and then some training. I was just gripped with your story. And so we'd love for you to share these stories with our listeners and how your trust in the Lord and and your faith was really strengthened through this process. So every decision we made, every little step we made, even, even if it was the smaller ones, prayer was our main guidance. We pray about everything and also ask our family to pray and just to kind of feel that support was amazing. So that's how everything started. 
So we did the classes. We try to prepare ourselves. We prepare our home. But nothing can really prepare you for this until you kind of jump in the pool and, and start swimming. <laughs> what I didn't know in the moment was how necessary the support of our family was. I don't think I would have been able to do it without their support. Like my three sisters, they're my rock and I could not have done it without them. And also my niece, I have a niece that was always there for me, especially emotionally, because there's a lot of ups and downs and times where you kind of like crumble. And like I was telling you before, I'm like, you have to like pick up the pieces and put yourself back together to be able to keep going. But you do break and, and then you, you get back up and keep going. So those people really, really made it possible. Of course, my husband and I were on the same boat and something that was very important to us, it was a mutual decision and we both had the same level of commitment. It wasn't, okay, I'll do it, but you know, it's up to you. We both had to be 100% on board and 100% committed to work with the kids and put the same amount of effort into making it better for these kids. So about a week after we got certified, we got an email from the Department of Family Services saying that a baby boy was waiting in the hospital for a home and he was two days old. We went to meet him and he was great, chubby little boy that had no name. He was drug exposed. He was going through a little bit of withdrawals from that exposure. And they said, you know, we don't really have any background on him. We don't know much about him. Uh, do you accept the, the placement? And, and we said, yeah, we will take him. We'll take him home. Uh, so he came home the day after. They told us it was going to take a little bit longer for him to come home, but he came right away. And then I started with the feelings of having to go to visits. So usually here in Nevada, a typical situation would be for a child under five is to have two visits a week, one hour per visit with biological parents. So twice a week, we had to drive to the other side of town for a biological mom to have visits. And I was really nervous. That first visit, again, I thought, you know, this woman has made some pretty interesting decisions in her life and lifestyle and how am I gonna relate to her? I was trying not to come across of a threat. I wanted her to know that I wanted the best for the baby. And when I met her, it was surprisingly because she was great. She was really nice. She was thankful that I had him. And I remember that first visit, she was holding him, telling him how much she loved him and kissing him. And she was crying and I just hugged it. And I said, don't worry, he's in good hands. You are going to take care of him. He, nothing's going to happen to him. Don't worry. I know you love him. So I love that because whenever my son is ready to hear his story, I can tell him. Your mom loved you. She was a nice person and we developed a little bit of a friendship. For the next five months, she on and off showed up to her visits. So he was able to go spend time with her and then we would come home. After five months, she couldn't change the things in her life that, that she needed to change. So her parental rights were terminated. When parents' rights are terminated, 
they try to look for a family member, someone that can take the child. And something that happened during the termination of parental rights court hearing is that we went and how it works if the biological parent is not at court, they terminate their rights on the spot. And then after filing, they give them 30 days to appeal. Well, she didn't show up. It was mixed feelings on that because in a way I was glad. I was glad she wasn't there because it was a step closer to adoption. But at the same time, I knew that my gain was somebody else's loss. She loved him and she just couldn't get her life together enough to have him back. And that just hurt as a mom. You know, I was feeling for her. The tricky part about being a foster parent is that many times you're kind of invisible, especially when it comes to court hearings. You don't really have an opinion. You sit on the, in the back of the room and you just kind of observe. So we sat there and the judge looked directly at us and said, well, this child has been with his foster parents. They are the ones that are watching him take his first steps, taking care of him. They're the ones that he's calling mom and dad. He deserves them as parents. And of course, at this point, my husband and I were bawling our eyes out. And from there, the process was fairly quick. He was about nine months when the termination of parental rights happened. And then he was 15 months when we finally adopted him in October of 2018. So that was finalized. And in the middle of that journey, when he was eight months old, I came into contact with a friend from the foster care community that had a baby girl. And we started talking and she felt like she belonged in our home. She said, I feel like she, she needs to be with you. So I said, okay, let's see. So she sent me pictures and of course, regardless of how she looked, I was like, I want this baby girl. I knew she was meant to be with us. So we brought Ava home. She was five months old. But when we talked to the caseworker, the caseworker said, well, it's kind of a package deal. The biological mom is pregnant. And are you willing to take the baby once the baby is born? And of course, I couldn't say no. And I said, yeah, of course, I'll take both of them. So Eva came and that's when our true trial started. And nothing could have prepared us for the next two years. Her case was really hard because her biological mom was a teenager in the foster care system. So she had Eva when she was 15 and had Lucas when she was 16. Eva and Lucas are a year and a day apart. So everything changed daily, weekly, monthly. We were getting different messages from caseworkers, from the court, from her. And it was really, really hard to manage emotions going through that. When it was time for Lucas to be born, she really had no one to help her, no one to support her. So she asked me to be in the delivery room. And of course, I very happily accepted. And 
I was able to witness his birth. With Ava, something that happened right before Lucas was born, they were trying to get Ava back with Biomom. And, you know, one week they would say, okay, she's going to be leaving next week. So we are trying to mentally prepare for that. And, and there's a lot of emotional things that go into it. And something that kept happening every time she was about to leave or every time I was ready to quit, I was ready to just call it quits and say, I cannot keep going with this. It's just playing with everyone's emotions. It's not fair to the baby. It's not fair to anybody. And every single time I had those thoughts in my head, something would happen that would bring me back to where I'm supposed to be. For example, one day, my husband's best friend called me, and he was a bishop at the time. He called me and said, I just felt that I needed to call you and tell you that you're doing a great job. And that was a day that I was crying, that I was, I was just feeling so down and so discouraged. And I said, you don't know what this means to me. I needed this. And to this day, I tell him, every time I see him, I tell him, remember that day you called me? And as that simple phone call really changed the course of that experience. So when Lucas was born, I'm in the delivery room and the caseworker calls me out. And I go outside and she tells me, well, we just discovered that things are not safe at home. So you're taking this baby home with you. And I was like, okay. So in the room, I was the only one that knew that this baby was coming home with me. I texted my husband and I said, hey, put the crib together. We are having a baby. We came home and everything was going okay. We were having visits again with, with Biomom twice a week. And going back to Ava's case, which I think this part might be important just because it kind of shows the trauma that a child can go through when having visits. Right before Lucas was born, Ava started her home visits with Biomom. So the caseworker would pick her up and take her to mom's house and be gone for about four hours, five hours. And in those five hours, I didn't know where my baby was. I didn't know she was being safe with her, if she was being fed. And I just worried. It was hour after hour that I would just worry and pray and pray to, for her protection. So, and then she would come home and it made me feel so bad because she was always very dirty and she would just cry and cry for hours and cry and she would fall to the ground and smack her head on the ground she would pull her own hair and it was traumatic so i would hold her and we both cried together it's the only thing we could do because it was really hard to calm her down. And this would be for hours after every visit, which was twice a week. So we brought Lucas home. They were together, which was awesome to see them together as siblings. And two weeks later, during one of the visits, the caseworker said very casually, oh yeah, by Friday, 
we're putting baby back with mom. I was not expecting it. I did not think it was going to happen. So this whole time, my husband and I were praying, please let this baby stay with us. We can provide a safety environment and we know they're not going to be okay with bio mom. And we just kept praying and praying and fasting and going to the temple. And a few days later, they took Lucas back with mom and the home visits continued. About two months later, they said, okay, we're getting ready to place Eva back with mom. So right there is when my prayers got stronger. I have never prayed so much in my life. We ask our families to please pray for them, to pray for our family. And again, every time they were about to leave, something would happen. And it was up and down and emotionally and, and things just kept happening. Bio mom would get in trouble where she wasn't able to have the kids. Two months later, I get a call. My husband was actually on a trip to Europe and I was by myself with my pregnant niece. And they said, can you come right now to pick up Lucas? Because it was not safe for him to be with mom anymore. At that point, Eva was a year and two months old. And Lucas was two months old. So, so you'd, had, you'd had Ava for most of her life thus far, right? Yes, yes. And that's what makes it really hard because she was my child. She was part of our family 100%. So I went to pick up Lucas and I didn't say anything to my husband. He FaceTimed me that night and I said, hey, you just had a baby again. <laughs> the same baby again. So after that, things got very hard with biological mom. She, we started to receive threats towards our family. So we kind of had to have a different approach. We couldn't have contact during visits. And our prayers got even stronger. We went to the temple a lot. We fasted, our whole family fasted. And the termination of parental rights hearing was coming up. We felt pretty confident. Again, we, we felt like we did everything we could to have things go the way we want it or that we were hoping for because we put a lot of prayer into it. We fasted, we went to the temple. So we walked into the courtroom feeling like Heavenly Father is listening to us. He knows our intentions and our desires and he's gonna help us. Well, we walked out of the courtroom heartbroken because they said, well, the babies are leaving within a week. I, I couldn't believe it. We were both in shock. It is not what we were expecting. We texted our family and say, hey, things did not go right. Please just pray. Pray as much as you can for these kids because now we have to support them and try to be in their life somehow. So we got home and my husband and I had this long conversation and we thought, okay, Heavenly Father is trying to teach us something. This is our trial. This is what is going to shake our faith. Our faith is being tested right now. And there's something we need to learn out of this. And what kept coming to our mind was just trust the Lord. Trust Him. Like He has a plan and you just have to trust. So I said, okay, maybe we're just meant to be an influence in their life. Maybe we're just meant to be kind of like an aunt and an uncle. I tried to get close to mom so she would keep us in their life. And 
they set up a mediation where everyone involved in the case has a meeting to come up with um, open adoption agreement. That didn't mean that it was going to adoption. It meant it was going to trial. And it was kind of a waiting game to see what happened. So we went to mediation. A mediation was the first time we talked to her after the threats. And everyone in that room was crying. I just explained to her that we loved the kids and we wanted the best for them. And she was really nice to us. And we ended up hugging and we had a good experience. Again, she's really young. And I couldn't blame her for the decisions she had made in her life because she was just a child. And to this day, I love her. And I hope the best and I pray for her every day. So after the mediation, we were trying to prepare emotionally for that change, trying to prepare our children for that change after having their little sister for two years. Something that we always did was we never told them, well, this one might stay forever. We always told them, hey, they might be going soon. And we made it positive. We would say, it's so exciting that they get their family back. And every time a baby left, we would have cake and balloons and kind of have like a little farewell party. So it was a positive experience for all the kids. And how old were your oldest three at this time? At this time, there were six, eight and 10, if I remember correctly. <laughs> so even though we didn't feel that way, we felt heartbroken. We felt scared for them. And we felt really nervous about how our kids were going to react. We tried not to show that to them. We tried to make it positive. And with other placements, they would get sad at times. And I would find my kids maybe crying in a corner and I would say, hey, what's wrong? Oh, I miss this or that baby. And, and they always called them my brother and sister. And it was very natural to them. They never struggled with that. And so it was a really positive experience for them. So, but at this time, again, it was almost two years after Ava came to us. So finally, once we understood our trial and we understood that what we needed to do was trust the Lord. Two days after our conversation and our feelings were kind of put into place, I get an email that said, you might want to sit down for this. That's what the title of the email was. And I, I was thinking, well, what is this? What, what's going on now? And it was an email from a counselor that BioMom had at the time. And it said, she has decided to relinquish her rights so the foster parents can adopt the children, both the children. And I couldn't believe it. I thought, okay, this is what Heavenly Father needed me to learn. He needed me to see that he does have my feelings into account. He does keep my feelings into account. He knows me. He knows my desires. He knows my fears, but I need to trust him. So I called my husband and he was at work, so he couldn't answer. So I just screenshotted the email and sent it to him. And I called my sister and I couldn't even talk. I was not making any sense because I was shaking. And, and she, of course, she started crying again. And 
she started crying too. And she said, the Lord knows you just have to trust him. You just have, and so she was having like the same feelings I was having. And so then it was a waiting game again, kind of waiting for bio to actually sign the papers because until things are not signed, nothing is set in stone. And later on we found out, and I'm so happy we didn't know at the time that the day of the signing in the morning, she said, I'm not signing. I'm not ready, but she did sign. And, um, and I'm really proud of her because she made a really mature decision, a really hard decision at a really young age. And that just shows that she really does love her children. And she understood that, that she needed to grow up herself before being able to care for them. So in January, 2020, we were able to adopt Ava and she got sealed to us that same day. And then Lucas, we had to wait a little longer because they had to terminate the father's rights too. So his adoption was a pandemic adoption. It was in the middle of the pandemic. It was online and it was in June of 2020. And because of the pandemic, we couldn't get him sealed to us until November when temples were opened and and everything was into place. We were able to have 16 people with us. So we had all of our children inside the temple in the ceiling room and that all dressed in white. Our older kids were able to go in to observe. And that was the most amazing feeling I've ever had in my life. And I think it was the closest thing to heaven I can get here on earth. About such a special experience. Wow. Lydia, thank you so much for sharing this story and such a roller coaster, even just to listen along. But I just think there's so many wonderful things that you teach us in sharing your story. And I just think the love that is shown you know, I think that you did a wonderful job in describing the love all around in fostering children and in caring for these children, the love that you had. And I was just so touched by the, the commitment that you show as foster parents to try to maintain these bonds with their biological parents, while also hoping that it would work out that the children would be able to stay with you. And I just feel the strength that you have, the strength to love and the strength to trust in God. And I just think people will love hearing this experience, a total roller coaster. (laughs) I feel like a lot of times we don't know how strong we are until we go through something like that. We did not know we were strong enough to do it until we actually did it. And it has strengthened our testimony tremendously it has been such a blessing and that's what we said we said okay if they go back this has built our testimony to levels that i didn't even know i could reach because i don't think anything can shake my faith ever after this experience that's so amazing and i just like carly said this story is just riveting i'm just thinking it is really hard to be a parent period. It's just hard. And so then you throw in these dynamics of you already have three kids when you're fostering and adopting additional kids, children that are coming from difficult circumstances and that you're having to facilitate helping them through their emotions and you're navigating relationships with biological parents. I'm almost at a loss for words, just thinking of your strength and your optimism and 
Your love. I, I'm amazed by this too, because over the three years that you and your husband were foster parents, you fostered a total of 12 children. Yes. So while you were going through all of these pretty traumatic and I don't know, times that you just don't know how things are going to end. You're also caring for so many other children. You've identified some of these things already and briefly touched on some of these things, but we would love to know just what are some other lessons that you've learned from foster caring and how have you changed as a person through this process? So I think the lesson number one that we learned would be patience because you can take a child home and you don't know where that case is going every case is different. So not knowing where a case can be going, it's really, really hard. And I've been told, you know, when people ask me about, well, how do you do it? Don't you get attached? You will get attached to every single child that goes through your home. But that's the point, is to show them that unconditional love that a parent can give even if it's for a week, even if it's for two months, even if it's for two years or more. That's the purpose of a foster parent is to provide that support and that help that every child needs and deserves. So yes, I do get attached, but I always say you almost kind of have to put your feelings aside and put their needs first. And like I said before, you break into a million pieces when they leave, when things happen. Sometimes they go home and you find a little stuffed animal or a little sock laying around and you remember them and you, you cry it out. And then you kind of have to put those feelings back into a little box and keep going because the job's not done. And there's tons of kids waiting for homes and the need of good foster homes is giant. I did not know how bad it was until I got involved. It's something that once you see it, you really can't turn your back on it. So it helped me grow as a person, as a daughter of God. I feel that it has shown me compassion and it has taught my kids how to be compassionate and how to be accepting. In the beginning, I felt like, again, how am I going to relate to these parents? And I learned that they're just people with trials and they are trying to do the best they can. And for the most part, they want to change. So it taught me to, of course, not to judge because I'm just here to help. I'm just here to be a tool to help. So I think that was my, my biggest lesson was to be accepting. And just because a child goes to a situation that to me might not look ideal, it does not mean that the parents are bad. We had a really good experience with a little boy. He was two years old and the parents worked so hard to get him back. They put their life together and they worked with me so well. We were always chatting. And it was great teamwork because everyone was putting the little boy as priority. Everyone wanted this family to work. So he was able to go back home. They had more children after that. And it was a great experience. And it was a great lesson for me because I learned just because they don't live their lives exactly the way I live mine does not make them bad people or, or bad parents. They love their kids and now they're together. So it's, it's great. 
I really appreciate you sharing that because I think we're seeing and hearing this mix of emotions, right? With all of these children that you fostered, not all that you adopted, that they were going home and you've talked about your kids feeling sadness or with this most recent story that you shared, the joy that you felt that, oh, this family is in a good place and this child gets to go home and be with their parents. And just that that mix of emotions, that's just got to be quite the experience and such a lesson for you and for your kids. I just can't imagine. And that's what I think a lot about as you've shared this story is how your three biological children have been impacted. And you've shared a little bit of their experiences and also that they had this wonderful opportunity to go to the temple and be sealed to these siblings. Is there anything else you'd share on this topic of how children are affected by foster care, your own biological children? Like I said before, the number one thing we try to do is make it a positive experience. Of course, at times we feel sad because kids are leaving or, or situations changed, but we try to make it positive. When kids left, we we made a big deal about it. We made it very You celebrated, right? Yeah, we celebrated yeah. when they left. We had cake, we took pictures, and they learned compassion. I feel like that's an acceptance those are the things they learn the, the most. You know, we had kids of different races. We had kids of different backgrounds. And my kids will always call them my brother, my sister. And people would try to pry in public. They would say, hey, who's that? And they would just say, oh, it's my brother. And never had to explain to anybody the details of our lifestyle. And it was great because it kind of made them to accept and understand different situations. So now when they come across someone at school that is either adopted or a child of a different race adopted into a different race or something like that, it's completely natural for them. I think it's so wonderful that you have developed so much compassion. And I think just demonstrated just being loving and not judgmental towards these parents. Because as you mentioned, some of them are children themselves. And I think it's really wonderful you shared with us that one of your goals in going back to school through BYU Pathways is that you ultimately want to work with teen moms in foster care. And I just think your experience and this compassion that you've developed is just going to be such a blessing for so many people Yes, Ava and Lucas's bio mom, she's the one that inspired me to start a career and kind of lean towards working with teen moms within the foster care system. I've been able to work a little bit with some teen moms with my current job as a breastfeeding peer counselor. And when I get those young moms, I keep up with them. I try to reach out as much as I can because I know they need that support, that extra support. And throughout Ava's bio mom pregnancy, I tried really hard to be there for her as much as I could without putting the kids in danger. So I got her hospital bag ready to have the baby. I would bring her food to visits because I know that many times she had not had any food. So I would bring her a burger or whatever I could. So I felt responsible to care for her because, she, again, you know, she was just a child. That's really wonderful. Well, when you do have 
these resources and this knowledge and the things that you've seen, I imagine how hard it would be not to want to just open your home and be there for them and do everything that you can. And I'm just so inspired by that, that you and your husband were in a situation that you could do that and bless the lives of so many people, including your children. I am just amazed by their resilience. That's incredible. Thank you. Well, Lydia, as we wrap up this episode, is there anything else you would want to share with the women of the church or the listeners of this podcast? Yeah, I think I would love to encourage those who feel inspired to maybe participate in something like this to try it out because I think most people are very much capable of doing it, just a little bit scared. It can be a scary process. But once you start, you start to see your potential. And it's a very rewarding process. And the need is huge. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Lydia. And I think you're right. I think sometimes it does take that nudge of encouragement that we can do difficult things and that the rewards, I mean, I just think of the rewards that have come to your family of love and of lessons learned. And like you said, this increase in your testimony and your trust in God and his plan, these things that we never could have imagined, right, for ourselves or for you guys, for your family. So thank you so much for sharing. It's just been really wonderful to get to know you and to hear your story. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thanks again. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning into this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. As a reminder, we have new episodes released every week, and we hope you'll continue to tune in and share the episodes with your family and friends. We have been so grateful to hear from so many listeners via email and on Apple podcast reviews, and we hope you'll continue to share your thoughts and feedback with us. Feel free to contact us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org with any suggestions for topics or guests. We also want to make sure our listeners are aware that the podcast is available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. So in addition to being on the church's website, it's also available on the Gospel Library app, the Saints Channel mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere. So tune in, subscribe, and please continue to share these voices and stories of women of faith with your friends and family. Finally, we want to thank our wonderful editor, Kurt Dahl, and our producer, Matthew Mangum, and the many others who support this podcast. Until next week, I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shailen Back. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.